G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. Really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. We don't ask for much in return, but be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcasts or Acast and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great. Leave other reviews to other veterinary podcasts. Um, really appreciate uh, yeah, a few minutes of your time. Please leave us a review. So joining Brian and myself in the studio today, we have uh, Ruth Serlin, one of our lecturers here in veterinary professionalism at the RBC. And we thought we'd uh, talk about a few topics that might sort of come up uh, around the uh, the Christmas holiday or the holiday season, as it, as it were. So whether that's uh, um, things like euthanasia, how to look after yourself um, and, and trying to uh, um, think about the things that you should look forward to as well during this during this time. So thank you, Ruth, for, for coming into the studio and uh, um, joining Brian and myself. You're very welcome. So maybe uh, I should uh, start by asking. So, with regards to um, like Christmas time, so you, you've obviously been in in, uh, in practice for a number of years. And uh, do you remember it as a, a good time to be working as a vet? I think um, we we were just talking about this, but I think um, it's quite. It's quite full on. Some of it can be quite full on. You know, Christmas is quite a hectic time for everybody. And if you're working in practice and trying to buy presents and trying to get all the family stuff sorted, um, it can be really, yeah, quite hectic. Um, And then you end up coming to work. And we, we were just saying that, you know, some of the days are very, very busy and some of the days are less busy, um, depending what your shift is. So... Yeah, it's um, good and bad. <laughs> good and bad. So we're we're starting to see quite a few uh, toxicities. I think as uh, as people um, start to to make uh, Christmas pudding or uh, or uh, Christmas cakes, there's lots of uh, um, raisin toxicities we're seeing at the moment. But I'm sure we're going to get a rise in in chocolates. But it's not it's not just the toxicities that we see over this sort of period of time, is it? That people might leave things uh, for a bit of time for reasons that we're not quite sure about yeah i think um coming around to that really hectic time um you know people are rushing around shopping sorting out relatives sorting out children's plays that kind of thing and i think it can be quite easy to for people to inadvertently not really notice that their animals are unwell and that there's certain things that are happening that um, maybe at other times of the year they'd be much more on top of. So um, it's certainly my experience that it goes quite quiet just before Christmas in a general practice and then um, Christmas is usually pretty quiet and then Boxing Day there's a bit of an onslaught and then um, in those days between Christmas and New Year can be really, really very um, full on with people bringing in animals that... Um, that have been slowly declining or that have declined and really not been not been noticed for a little while what well, why do you what do you think that is do you think <coughs> that's just because people have um, busy lives and it's just a bit of a different time of the year yeah i think it's kind of hard and i think um you know having been all of those things clients parents vets um it's it can be really easy to to have you know a great big long list and your animals sort of halfway down it or it's is there something wrong is there not something wrong um and then when you're actually quietened down it becomes very much more apparent that actually the animal is is yeah is is quite ill and i think um you know it's been my experience in practice where 
you know, that can be quite uncomfortable conversations um, and it can be quite difficult to be the person on duty and somebody brings you something that is really, you know, quite quite unwell now. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that you know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to judge, but it's also, you know, they're here now, you know, trying to sort it out. So, um, you know, one of the things that I... I hope and I think, you know, we can be quite, we can get very stressed about what should have happened or could have happened. Um, and we just have to accept at this point, this is really quite a, a stressful and difficult time for a lot of people and it's a really, really very busy time. So, you know, it's good that we provide the 24 hour service and it's just great that people can use it. But, um, well, what do you do with your, yourself for, um, see, when you're, obviously, obviously like we all have some preconceived ideas or, you know our own stuff that's going going on do you how do you center yourself about that to give a level playing field to that that client and that and that patient and do you have anything you say to yourself or do you have a stock way that you communicate because obviously there's no point in making someone think that they should have done something sooner they probably think that already yeah I think what can happen is um people come in and they half feel guilty anyway so you know um yeah they come in with obviously feeling stressed out upset and then guilty themselves and so it's you, you almost don't need to feed into that because the minute that you start feeding into those sort of negative emotions then you end up sometimes with quite a difficult communication situation that um whatever you think in the end um it's important to get the animals sorted one way or another. So, um, you know, it, it's, I think those um, communication problems can happen because everybody's stressed. And, you know, if you bring your judgment into that communication, you can really set the situation off. And, you know, it's the animals there, the, the, the main point at this point is to get it dealt with and get it sorted and take that judgment out of it. I know it's hard. Um, but it's something that makes life feel a lot easier as well. That, you know, if you have a little bit of, maybe we'll come on to it in a minute, but a bit of self-compassion, that you can have a little bit of compassion for the situation that people are in too. What do you mean about self-compassion? Well, you know, we're always trying to be perfect and we're always, <coughs> excuse me, um, many of us try to be perfect. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, we can get um, quite... Um, just interested in being frustrated because we can't do the best job that we feel that we should do because of X or because of Y or because of Z and actually you know it's a much more comfortable space to get into to think I'm going to do the best job that I can in this moment um, and not judge myself because or not judge somebody else because I, I haven't been able to do it this way or that way or another way and I think that's one of us, one of the, the things that general practitioners sometimes struggle with. Um, and so I think that um, frustration with self can sometimes leak out into other areas as well. Do you think it's a harder time of year because often people are, though it's a time of you know, families getting together or people being sociable, but also I suppose the the, the converse of that is that you know, people are left to work potentially or some people might not have that so do you think it, it 
that factors into this time of year? Yeah, I think we've got a huge amount of pressure to make that that it all just focuses down on one or two days, really. Um, and there's a huge amount of pressure on us all. Um, and, you know, it, it, everything starts ramping up in December and there's lots and lots of um, stress and it's it's very hard to sort of um, climb down, I think, for some people from that stress and then um, be at work and not be stressed and not also, you know, I know that people um, either are given a rotor and they're on it as Christmas or, you know, it may be that, um, <clears throat> like me when I was younger, I would always volunteer for the Christmas shifts and um, have the New Year shifts off um, and that seemed to work for me and for colleagues around me. But there does come a point, you know, when you actually do start missing a family or missing um, Christmas from the past or something like that and you find that you're stuck in this, in in work and... Um, it may be actually if, if there's nothing going on i think that's even worse than if there's a lot going on if you've got a busy shift then um you've got stuff to do and stuff to be thinking about um i think the quiet christmas shifts can be quite quite a lot worse than the busy ones i, I think in, um say being back in the uk for for a number of years now though i think that christmas day seems to be the one public holiday in the uk is almost sacrosanct like people do come in obviously but normally they have to be pretty sick for um, people to come into the vet would you would you agree or yeah the number of christmas shifts i've done and i thought right i'll do christmas shift and then it's been so quiet <laughs> and you are just you know it's, it's usually quite nice you can have a little party with the nurses or any other vets that are on but um yeah it's uh, the boxing day shifts that i've always remember as being the real the real um, difficult shifts where, you know, people have got to Christmas Day and then, you know, as I said before, they they do notice the animal. OK, right, we need to do something about this. And then the vets, the vet, they find out the vets on duty on Boxing Day. So they think, right, I've got to do something about it. And they they will um, come in on Boxing Day and that day after. You know, I've done some 24 hour shifts that have been legendary at Boxing Day and the day beyond. I, th I think as well, it sometimes depends on where the weekend falls in, as in relation yeah. to that as well. And if there's a, <clears throat> a weekend before the Christmas holidays, then the Boxing Day can even be e even worse. I guess. Yeah, a, and I a think very, it's a very, very busy day. Then it's hard to prioritise, you know, prioritising cases um, and just prioritising what you're going to do and how you're going to do it is really um, can be quite difficult, um, especially because I think... Um, you have, you, as you say, you, or as we said, people can leave cases longer over that period of time. So you have that additional concern and that additional guilt and that additional worry in a way um, that can impact on um, what's going on with you and the, the client as well. Do you, do you think clients are a bit more understanding of this sort of holiday period rather than less demanding of whatever they think is appropriate um yeah i think um you know in my experience people have just been very very relieved there's been somebody there on christmas and boxing day because they didn't believe there would be somebody there um and i think you know there are more and more 24-hour um or you know overnight hospitals um but yeah usually people are quite relieved and um you know quite surprised that you're there and very thankful 
um but you know it it can be also that you have the the issues where people are um you know people are complex things so <laughs> you know sometimes you get the people that um that really they've got an itinerary as well so maybe they're doing something the day after boxing day so they need to come in on boxing day because that's they can't that's the only gap that they've got or they need to come in on the day after boxing day at 10 because that's the only gap that they've got and trying to accommodate all of that can be really difficult if there's just you on shift yeah yeah and with uh, with regard to obviously it's very important to look after our own well-being and those are the people that we work with uh, every every day but uh, around this time as as well what what did you do in practice to make sure you did that or were you aware of what you were doing i think um yeah, which I think when I was younger, and I think burning the candle at both ends um, worked quite well for sometimes, and then not not so much other times. But I think actually, if you're coming up to a big shift, it seems obvious. But yes, it's really hard to it's really um, hard to turn down lots of invitations to go out or parties and stuff. Um, but I think it is just preparing yourself mentally and a little bit physically, especially um, you know this time of year. You can end up eating drinking too much um so it's just taking care of yourself in that way i think um you know i was i worked in a lot of charities so we often had a bunch of people around so we would make our own christmas dinner do secret santa i think if there's just one or two of you on that can be quite a um it, it's probably i don't know you, you just make your own um fun <laughs> if there's nothing else going on um but we managed to cook Christmas lunches um, when I was working in charities. Somebody would be doing it, and you'd probably get to eat some of it at some point. Um, and I think it's also just pacing yourself out and making sure that um, at the end of your shift, whenever it finishes, that you've got something at the end of it that's going to be good, that's something that's, that's going to sort of carry you through and just think, right, when I when I get to the end of it, I'm going to be able to do this that or the other if it's just you know open some presents or you know phone family or something like that or just do something for yourself for a little bit just make sure that that, that you've factored that in so this time of year unfortunately like with every time of year but in holidays time we, we were speaking before and the mics were were, uh, were closed about um some people wanting their pets to see another christmas so unfortunately it falls down that um for whatever reason in the uk there seems to be quite a, a hike of, of euthanasias around that sort of christmas day boxing day um boxing day thing is, is that has that been your experience ruth yeah i think um I think actually, and I've I've been through various um, emergency clinics, and I think sometimes, anyway, um, sort of primary care emergency work is doing the euthanasias that clients don't want to take into their practice on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and that's something that that I learned quite early on in a way, just doing a, a primary care emergency service, that often you end up with the euthanasias where the clients don't really want to let their vets down or to to go to their practice. I mean, there's other clients that are totally different, but I think there are a bunch of clients that will use the emergency service so that they can be a step away from their own practitioner and their own um, practice where they have their animal put to sleep. So I think that probably heightens around um, Christmas time. So, you know, I'm not really talking about the people that 
theoretically the the people that you know um, shelters talk about that get rid of one animal and bring another animal in but this is um, people that have chosen to have or their animal ends up being euthanized around this time and they've they've got to deal with it at this time um, but I think you know it seems that we as humans often want an animal to live another Christmas or to to just go to the end of the year or it seems to be one of those um a, a, a staging post almost it's a moment where actually we all want to be together as a family and the dog or cat has to be involved with that um and of course we know that the animals don't really um feel that or notice that apart from the fact that you know they, they might notice that their old family's at home so i think there is that kind of there's a, there's a pivot moment i think around christmas where people if their animals are sick they want to get them to christmas and then I think there is a bit of a spike around just after Christmas animals, older animals being put to sleep or sick animals being put to sleep. And that can feel quite um, difficult, I think, especially if you're in the middle of a shift where you're seeing animals that you think might have, you know, it could have been that they were seen a bit earlier, and then you end up doing euthanasias as well. So I think that those shifts can be quite draining and quite difficult. Do you, do you think it, there's a challenge with euthanasia um, per se around this time if you if you are very very busy and how how do you do you might frame that to the to the client or you know because we want to give people time and space and empathy and uh, understanding about mm. this time but sometimes if you're under the pump as it were then it can be quite challenging to well, I think if you've got animals um, you know it's always good and I think um we don't as a profession don't tend to like to talk about euthanasia dom and i do but <laughs> we talk about euthanasia but i think as a profession you know the research tells us we don't like talking about it the research tells us people don't like talking about it the clients don't like talking about it so we have this kind of um almost like a pact that if those conversations go too far somebody backs away from it and we don't want to to um upset the clients but they also don't want to upset us it's a it's a real seesaw. And I think, um, you know, actually it's quite important that we can break through that and start talking about um, when the time comes or what is the time, what is going, was it, what are the criteria that we're going to use to judge a quality of life or how are we going to view um, when the, the right time has come for this euthanasia. So if you've got clients with animals that you think are fairly um that you know might end up needing to be put to sleep around this time opening that conversation with the clients earlier rather than waiting it for to, to become a catastrophe or to become something really really stressful i think is really valuable and i think it's very unusual for somebody to for a client to get upset um if you you know start gently talking to them about an animal's quality of life and asking them to evaluate it and then have a sort of open dialogue with you about it and you can help them decide um what type of what matters to them and their animal about their quality of life and then what's that going to look like when it's compromised and then talk them through about what you're going to do about it and i think it's that open conversation that allows people to prepare for it and then they're much more likely to um, to have a further conversation with you, but also to take a little bit, have a little bit more agency in that decision themselves than to feel on their own and then suddenly they've got to make a decision and it's a, 
much more stressful and much more difficult it's going to happen you know we all know it's going to happen so actually being quite open and um you know having having more conversations about it especially around this time i think do you, do you have a, a very briefly could you maybe walk us through what you what you say and maybe how you perform a euthanasia um the sorts of i think i'm very client-led very client-led with um a euthanasia so um i know that we have a number of um almost like checkpoints that are going to happen the things that we know that are going to happen around euthanasia and we have to um inform clients particularly about certain things that might happen and certain ways that we might want to do or certain tasks that we have to do but i think um you know some it, it i'm very much led by the client so um you know when we've come to a decision or when we're coming to a decision around euthanasia you know i will ask them how how um or have you been involved with euthanasia before what do you think is going to happen and how do you think this is going to be and how you know here's how um this is what we need to do to make this comfortable for the dog or the cat how does that feel for you and you know these are the certain um you know i we decide whether or not to put in a catheter or not I'll take them through some of the physical changes that might happen. And I'm always incredibly aware of um, making sure that they know that's what we're doing. You know, at some point I will talk about heart stopping, brain stopping and death occurring or talk about cremation or burial or something to be sure that they have really understood because, you know, again and again, I mean, we always hear about them, I think, but there are mistakes made when people don't quite understand. So it's actually just taking the pace from them um, which can be very difficult if you're in a very busy clinic and there's a lot of other things going on um, and it's you know sometimes something that you know you can leave a client to think and then do something and come back and people are usually very understanding of that sort of thing um, especially if they know it's just you so yeah I think it's you know sometimes you have clients that will just want to come in and leave their animal and go because they've done their grieving at home and they're going to carry on grieving at home and they don't want to to be involved in grief process in your clinic um and that again is you know no judgment there it's just that's the way they need to deal with it and then there's other people that really really find it difficult to let go and leave a body and and whatever and i think it's really important just to be able to to let people grieve in their own way as long as it doesn't have any impact on the animal and how you're how you're going to do it that's that's fantastic <laughs> um <clears throat> thank you thank you for for sharing that um and do you do you have any i suppose like tips if things um if people react overtly or um not in a way that you expect like how I think um, one of the, the biggest things I think I struggle with is client anger. Um, you know, and it's, it, you know, we talked a little bit about people sometimes leaving things longer or feeling guilty if they feel they've left, um, they've left an animal, you know, or they've not been able to come in for whatever reason or another. And we have to deal with that guilt as well as our own frustration. And I think it's very hard when 
if you feel you've done everything you can for an animal or you've done everything um, you can in that euthanasia and it's all gone very, very well, um, and then somebody's cross with you or somebody's trying to blame you for something or it didn't go as well as they thought, and uh, you know, but when you actually recognise that in grief there's anger and in grief there's blame and there's a whole heap of other things as well, there's disbelief, there's all these other emotions that will come up and they'll they'll come up and they'll be there for a little while and then they'll go away again and sometimes you know I mean I'm sure we've all seen it but actually recognizing it the blame people will blame themselves they'll blame the animal they'll blame something else so it's no surprise if they blame you because blame's going to be there because that's one of those fundamental things that happens when someone's grieving and so it's really hard to take the blame especially if you feel you haven't quite done something or you know if you're somebody that's always striving to do things better that blame sometimes hits quite hard so yeah but if i think when you recognize that blame is going to come it's quite good then to think well here it is okay we're going to deal with that blame and i'm not going to need to contest it because it's going to be followed by another emotion in a minute and that's you know it's it's if we get hooked into those big conversations at that point it can get very difficult or sometimes people get angry they can get withdrawn and then we always struggle, always. But we frequently struggle with that silence if people then withdraw and everything goes quiet and we don't know what to do. And I think, again, that's, you know, it's very easy to to be anxious around that. But again, it's very natural. People go quiet, they withdraw for a while. Um, and we can just help by saying, when you're ready, um, you know, we can chat about the next thing. But giving people the space and time and knowing those emotions are all going to come up and recognising them when they come and not taking them personally, I think is, can be really, really helpful. And especially, you know, when you're on your own dealing with the situation and you're on your, you know, you're busy and stressed yourself. I think it's it's very easy to get wrapped up in someone else's grief that actually, you know, if you can manage it, it's easier just to manage it. And do you give yourself time to process things as as well? Like that whole, regardless of the vested interest that you have in the in the patient and client, whether they're long term or or short term involvement with you, do you do you have a way of of managing that yourself, or do you put it to the end of the the shift because there's always something else to get on with? I think um, talking sort of specifically about euthanasias, I think. Um I think I've reframed how I think about it so I know all the animals in my care are going to die that that's not a failure of mine it's not a failure of anybody else's it's not failure it's not something bad it's just something that's going to happen so within that knowing they're all going to die and that some that is going to happen to them that actually if I reframe my my job in that is to, to make it work well so for me a euthanasia with a good outcome is it went well um not or a situation is that you know that if an animal's going to die it dies well and so actually making that the focus not the loss or not the failure or not the the um the end of a life being the problem but actually just if we can make this go well for the animal and for the for the person for the people around so in a way it's, it's kind of 
I think I'm less impacted by the loss by just reframing it around my job in this process is to make it all work well um, and to be able to manage those client the client bit of it and the clinical bit of it as well that I can um, and the loss was always going to be there I think that's perfectly clear yeah, yeah, happy Christmas <laughs> Probably, probably we shouldn't uh, just uh, just stop there, but but but, but in, indeed, um, I was interested because you were talking about some of the research or the lack of research in euthanasia, which is a big thing in the in the veterinary community. Um, what questions would you like to find out about in relation to euthanasia in the in the veterinary profession? Well, I my. My interest really is, and well, I've got lots of interests um, around euthanasia. I think, I think it is really looking at the impact on us, and why, and how we can, um, how we can actually. I'm, I'm not talking about a research thing, but ha actually teaching around it is how we can help ourselves not see euthanasia as a failure. I think there's there's a lot of times that we don't as a profession. You know, it's a privilege as well as a... It's a double-edged sword. Um, and, you know, there's research around whether or not it increases our um, sense of... Um, or it, it increases our, our distress. And I think, you know, there are the sort of moral distresses around euthanasia, euthanizing animals that may be you know, we believe shouldn't be euthanized. It's another topic completely. But um, so I think, you know, I don't think we know what impact it has on us. And we, we're unique in it. We, we have a unique um, insight and a unique experience as, as professionals in actually euthanizing animals that we have been caring for in that way. Um, so, yeah, I think probably the research that I'd be interested in is actually really finding out what what we as a profession what impact it has on us the answer is like with any social science research it probably is it depends but also then as in as in a mitigation of it and then how can we make it easier for ourselves because i think if we make it easier for ourselves as professions i'm talking about vets and vet nurses we make we can then make it much easier for the people around us because if we're much more comfortable as professionals then you know we we can deal with other people's discomfort and upset around it much be easier so yeah that sort of area of research um and you know i've done some little bits of student research of what the clients want from us and what's you know there's there's a little bit of research around that and i think a lot of clients want euthanasias at home <laughs> which for a christmas busy christmas shift is going to be hard um and you know they they want a sense of connection with us as well you know they're interested in um us and our compassion and our empathy and you know they need to feel that we have listened to them and haven't rushed it so it's going to be difficult with that hasn't it because the you know i suppose as a a pet owner and uh, and a vet as well it's quite you know euthanasia is something uh, um as you said, two-edged sword, but fortunately or unfortunately something that we 
been involved with for the, the entirety of our professions, mm. yet for that client, it might be something that happens yeah. a, f- a handful of times in their in their in their lives. So it's quite hard to bring that home. You know, give you know, give someone like everything or all yeah. all that understanding at the same time as it might be. You know, the seventeenth in Asia you've done that day. Yeah. It's, that can be very, very stressful. And mm. I think it's the reframing of it um, and just, I think I started this with saying, you know, we, we always want to be perfect. We want to do things to the best of our ability and, you know, actually not beating yourself up about it and actually just, um, you know, leaving everything at the door. I think what we can do as well is we, you know, when you're very, very busy, it's very easy to bring everything else into the room with you but then if you're if you're not quite there that experience when it is quite a profound experience is more difficult to process so actually you know if you're even if you're on a busy shift just leaving what you can at the door when you come in to do that euthanasia they go a lot better I think if you're not if you're actually present in that moment you're much more receptive and it it then is something that you have done well as opposed to you thinking it didn't go so well because you're worried about x y or z um in the hospital so it's it's really sort of not quite compartmentalizing but also just accepting that you've just got to, for this little bit of time you've got to stop worrying about that um someone will come and find you if you need to go back out and do something else but um and just being in the moment and accepting that that moment you, you mentioned as well about uh, euthanizing animals that we might not feel as appropriate at the time. Is is maybe we shouldn't delve into this, as you said, because it's a, it's probably a, a day sort of conversation or uh, or group discussion. But do you, do you find um, sometimes the students ask you about that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's something that we find is very very difficult. I haven't got the answer. I haven't got the answer. I don't think any of us have. I think it's. Um, we're all different, so we all have a different level of what we will put to sleep or won't put to sleep. Um, and it's accepting other people's levels. And it's also understanding and not compromising on your own so that you also then feel quite dissonant about things that you've done i haven't got a simple answer there's usually a way around those dilemmas there's usually a way around those dilemmas and students bring and i have you know experiences where um you you um have been asked to put an animal to sleep that you don't want to be you don't feel should be put to sleep and there's an alternative way of dealing with it you know a rehoming or something like that but until you find out almost the reason, the proper reason why somebody's coming in to have that animal put to sleep. You know, if it's um, something like, um, you know, we have a scenario where somebody's asked that the dog be put to sleep um, after they've died. And so the brother, you know, comes along to, to fulfill their, their brother's dying wish to put the animal to sleep in our scenario and that's very very complex it's a very very complex thing to manage because it's um it's hard for us to go into that other person's reason but until you sort of start 
finding out and meeting it head on or just gently being curious about why that's happening you you can't try and change the situation you know so it's actually you have to be very um um aware of what's going on with the other person so that then you can try and manage that situation and change the situation i think that's quite difficult to do especially when we really don't feel comfortable doing it just to hold that for a little bit and then you know make the conversation um into something that's much more collaborative and then hopefully being able to change that person's mind if you can um and i think we you know it's a an interesting skill to learn is to try and negotiate that without it having that much of an impact on us as well can be very challenging that as well yeah. particularly when people have their minds made up yeah 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 but i think just gently probing and being curious and gently going the next level and the next level finding out why they've made their mind up can be very very helpful because sometimes they've made assumptions and sometimes you can manage that assumption and then you've got a way through can I can I ask as well maybe moving sort of slightly on to after a euthanasia process do you do you direct um people to like bereavement sites there's quite a few now isn't it there's obviously the the, the Ralph and uh, the PDSA has some pet bereavement the Blue Cross as well didn't they they all they all have some information about that do you do you find yourself directing people to those resources if they need or or only um if people seem to be more struggling than not or do you always i don't think i can make the judgment you know i that's not my judgment to make so i think i've learned over the years that um to have a a good healthy boundary of what i can do and what i can't do so within that moment i can help you i can help the client with the euthanasia i can talk about the pets i can talk about my experiences of the their pets i can talk about you know what we as a practice enjoyed about their their animal i can listen to their stories i can let them um you know we have the the concept of disenfranchised grief so people um don't always feel it's only a dog it's only a cat you know and they say that to themselves and they hear that said to them but actually that that animal is their friend it's their child it's whatever it's really really important to them but we're the only place that that bond is recognized or they feel that bond's recognized um you know often they will try and suppress the feelings of grief because it's it's not a person or it's not you know the, the grief is sort of a lesser grief or supposed to be you know felt to be a lesser grief so I think in the vets, you know, that's the place where they can talk about it and they expect that we will understand. So I think we do get quite a lot of that grief on us. But um, knowing how far I'm going to go and I can be comforting now and I can listen and I can talk to you and I can help you now. But there comes a point that, that you know, we have to do the next thing and... Um, you know, I will often find out, is there someone that you can talk to about this at home? And usually yeah, my sister or somebody else or the family or whatever. And then if there's not, it's like, well, is there somebody you'd like, you know, is there somebody that you could talk about it on the phone? Or is there somebody that you think, you know, might be able to talk this through with you again? Um, 
And if there isn't, then I would certainly refer those people on. But I would also, you know, I'd make a pointed effort to refer those people on. But I would say to the people, even if they do have someone around, you know, there's, there's counselling services. There are people that will just listen as well, because I think just listening is often really helpful because people just need to get their, um, you know, there's the stories out and the, go through the process of grieving. And that isn't always something that we can do in a vet clinic every day and again and again, but it is something that um, is available. But if we can help people make a link to that, then that's really good. And then it's it keeps you, I think the worst is people leaving the door and you think what what's going to happen to them when they're at the other side of the door but if you've already tried to cater for that and you've already tried to help them realize they might need to talk to someone else or they might need help there then it's a much more comfortable feeling for for you as well you know that they can they've got something they've got somewhere to go with it all and I think that someone leaving the leaving the room and you not knowing that they're going to be okay is is too much for us to bear it's too much for us to take as, as a profession. So it's great that we've got other places that they can go and that we can signpost them to and that we can help them get there. Again, like fan fantastic uh, advice, Ruth. Thank you for, thank you for that. You, you were saying before as well that, um, you know, how we should look after ourselves and maybe, maybe people around this time should think about uh, what, um, what they're looking forward to. So, so maybe I could ask, uh, ask you, what, what are you looking forward to this holiday season? <laughs> I am looking forward to um, Christmas Day, we don't leave the house. That's my son's thing. Christmas Day, you don't make us go out, you don't, we don't leave the house. I might take the dog for a walk. Um, but just, yeah, almost doing nothing on Christmas Day with my little family um, and then yeah catching up with friends boxing day and just yeah just having a few days of not really not doing anything that much well it, it's it's uh, important isn't it when we're, we're all uh, very busy everyone seems to be getting busier and busier don't they there's no, no one that's uh, yeah I do not remember the last time anyone was said to I'm bored. I'm bored too quiet. <laughs> I've got anything to do. Oh, actually, my 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a luxury of, of youth, potentially. Um, but, um, but yes, it doesn't, doesn't sort of tend to happen at the moment. Um, do, you, do you think we need to touch on, on anything else? No, I'm, I'm surprised we went... We, this, it doesn't feel very festive. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's one of those times where, um, you know, I think we, we have a raw we have raw emotions often around Christmas, don't we? So maybe we've we've tried to to manage some of the things that might be difficult over Christmas, and actually just looking after yourself and having boundaries and preparing yourself for busy shift, looking after the people around you. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and and um, and if people are um concerned about anything as we've spoken about then definitely contact vet life uh, in the uk or there's, yeah, there's, there's other associations in uh, in north america and australasia to um whether that be the samaritans or even anyone else if you're if you are concerned over this period of time absolutely it's important that we talk to someone yeah. if we don't have anyone that we can talk to i think um i think one of the the most interesting bits of advice that I heard as well was, you know, it's good to have people that you can talk to about this stuff in your 
friends and family but also it's good to know or to check in that they're okay with you talking to them about it and I think that's something that you know sometimes we um you know we'll we have stories we have some really quite complex and quite um quite dramatic and quite sad stories and you know it they're hard to tell sometimes so I think if even if it is a member of the profession that you're going to talk to I think it is just checking in with them that it's okay but it's always okay if you ring up vet life the Samaritans whatever you know that's what they're there for but it's also you know being looking after yourself and those around you as well I was thinking just on on that point you know that the uh veterinary profession is is quite incestuous in, in a number of ways like vet vet relationships are mm-hmm. quite a lot i just wonder whether that's that's part of it whether someone that you can have those conversations with that you are because i you know i'm i might be mistaken but in the medical profession like i suppose like death or hard things doesn't come across everyone all the time it's not it's not with the same i suppose potential intensity is my understanding obviously i might be completely wrong and maybe maybe that's uh, a reason why vets congregate together and talk about their uh, yeah maybe yeah i think it's that shared experience but it's quite good to look out and find out other people's experience of these things and see how they've managed it too particularly at this time of year yeah. well indeed any time of year um well i i know it probably wasn't as as festive <laughs> in the, uh, uh as a christmas uh, a christmas podcast but but to be fair, you know, we've got to touch on, on uh, difficult difficult subjects at some point in time. Um, but it's important that everyone looks after e- each other out there. So so I think we'll probably wrap it up there. Um, no pun intended, Ruth. And uh, many thanks for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you again for listening. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device. And you don't even have to worry about missing podcasts. If you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Acast, five-star review would be great. And we'll place some uh, show notes and some links, um, particularly to Vet Life and Samaritans, on the RVC pages. So just type in RVC Clinical Podcast in your search engine, and it should be top of the tree. If you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can either email dbarfield uh, at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Tom Barfield. Wishing you a very merry Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Until next time, bye-bye.